Welcome to episode 279 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett. Our special guest this week is Danny DeGrave, founder of Unconventional Innovation. Danny, welcome to the show. Hey, hello, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. We'll be discussing the intersection of AI and scientific research, the use of cognitive and other innovative technologies in R&D, like natural language processing, machine learning, and advanced analytics. So let's get started. Danny, how do you see AI and science intersecting? Mm -hmm. It's a broad question and interesting. I would add a very hard question. Thank you for starting off with a hard question. Um, it's almost like you would uh, say, well, uh, how do you see uh, the use of Excel and science intersecting? So in a way, kind of everywhere within the, the field of science. Uh, so maybe we can summarize it and say that it's going to change the way science is done and fundamentally change the way science is done. And I'll give you um, maybe just one example on that. The um, one one sub area of AI is, is NLP, natural language processing. And so one of the projects um, I've done recently, we wanted to look at kind of what, what was published about this topic, but then also really way more, way beyond that into the scientific literature. And so we really wanted to go beyond what people typically do in their own domain. Like, can we have a look at everything? Can we have, can we find some patterns here? So we went through that, went through that process uh, and just went through the catalog of one of the major publishers. And just to give you a feel of how things will then change is that um, this took the machines like a... Um, a week or so, or so um, not even a week, to read through everything, to ingest everything. If you or me, we would like to do that and, and like just read, I'm not even talking about thinking about it, uh, doing something with it, remembering it. If, if we would like to do the same thing, read all that scientific literature, it would take us more than 300 years speed reading. Yeah. So it shows just the scale of what we are getting into that you say, well, one way you cannot, you this is no longer a discussion in that example of, yeah, I can still do that. And yeah, maybe the machines can help me. No, no, this is really, we are going into a field when now uh, you could say the, the these approaches can really help us to do things we really couldn't do before. So that's just one example. Um, and, and there are many to, to, to just say, well, um, if you add everything up, we, we really have to do science in a very different way. What are the primary uses of AI in scientific research? Yeah, so, um, yeah, for sure, um, you have many applications in the field of uh, what's called biomarkers. So um, markers in your, uh, let's say, in your blood, for example, which can help to predict how you will respond to a medicine or to a vaccine. And then that information can then be used to make better medicines and better vaccines or effective for more people. So that's one area you can certainly use it. And it's being used to um, not only find relationships between data. And as you mentioned, uh, big data and support, uh, not only find like relationships, but also trying to figure out what's the cause behind that. So if you would say, for example, I see... Um, that a certain effect of a medicine, uh, let's say, or 
uh, and you see this in adults. We don't see this in children, let's say. And it's like, well, okay, that's kind of a fact. So it, it, it's there, it's clear. But like, why is that? Yeah, but why is it just because you're now 20 years old and no, no longer 12 years old? Like, what's behind that? And that has been always very difficult to identify. And so with AI today, you can go search for that. So like, what's the underlying reason? What's behind that? What's below that? What is actually the real reason why you would see the difference in this age effect, for example? Um, certainly, there's a lot of work in genomics going on, um, a lot of work in... in um, Coming back to my first example here, finding patterns in the literature. And, and that's, again, it's something that we as humans, we cannot really do uh, historically, uh, or, or we can only do that to a certain extent in a small scale. Um, but if you know that 50% uh, of the scientific literature is uh, actually is basically not read, it's just read by the people who write the article and the review. So that's a lot of information that's out there, a lot of knowledge that's out there that actually nobody is really aware of. And so if you can use AI to, to start connecting the dots and start to find patterns, that's something that is now possible, um, one of the uses. And then, then certainly a lot of efforts to what is called real-world evidence, real-world data, so where we actually, uh, when you look at clinical trials, typically these are very controlled environments and, and everything is like really with the idea that everything is, is, is super controlled so that you can draw really very good conclusions but the aspect of we live in a world and if you live in 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 africa or you live in mexico or you live in the united states it is different we come with a big different background and so maybe climate, the, the, the weather patterns influence your trial and you don't know because you have never looked at these things. So now, now you can start to combine all those different elements into you, your AI project in a way and, and have a much richer picture of what's going on. So and these are just a few examples uh, in scientific research, but if you just take them all just these ones, uh, it, it already shows how, uh, how fundamental this will change the, uh, uh, the path forward. Sounds to me like AI will be critical to the implementation of personalized medicine. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I mean, just on, exactly on the personalized um, idea, the, the historically, you couldn't bring so much different types of information also together. And, and if you... I mean, let's say you're sensitive to allergies or some skin reactions. Um, I mean, historically, these things would be evaluated in a certain way, in, 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 in a population way. But now you can say, well, actually, hey, Jonathan, do you, do you have air conditioning at home? Are you putting this on all the time or only when it's cold or when it's, when it's hot? I mean, that changes your, the humidity in your home. Uh, where do you live? Do you live in, in, in certain areas of uh, uh, of the country where it's more humid all the time or you just move to an area which is different? So all these elements which were like, yeah, how do you capture that before? Um, all, all that becomes um, like a useful to use also because all that information is becoming more and more digitized. So it just it's becoming available. Yeah, you 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 could record um, humidity and uh, any other factor you would you may be thinking of it has an impact, but like that would be on paper needs to be put into computers. It's a lot of a lot of effort and and especially when in many cases 
there's a lot of information that actually is of no relevance, but you don't know. <laughs> but now with the, with the AI, you can say, well, let's 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 look at this and let's figure out. And yes, some of that information will be actually useless. But okay, let's 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 have a look. While before you would you would have the trade off like, I'm I'm going to look at that type of information. It's going to cost me so much money, and actually. Maybe there's nothing in there. Uh, am I going to do this? Yes, no. So now it, that, that becomes much easier. How would you advise a biosciences startup in investing in artificial intelligence? Is AI now a piece of critical infrastructure? Yeah. Um, well, the answer is yes. It's um, hard to think uh, that you can now start businesses which say, well, actually, we do not need AI. We, we'll, we'll be okay without it for the next coming years. Um, I think that's probably putting yourself in a disadvantaged uh, position. But yes, certainly, uh, um, it's an investment in AI. But also, I would advise them to really also deeply think about what you exactly want to do and how. And it's not only about the technology it's there, it's accelerating at fantastic pace. What was not possible last year, well, now somebody has a solution for it and now it can be done easily. And, and the same, what is not possible today, well, tomorrow, one year from now, somebody will find a solution for that. So the technology side is kind of, um, yeah, you need to make a choice. Don't wait until you have the best possible answer because it's evolving as you're selecting your your type of AI you want to use. But I think it's at least as important to really know which problem you're trying to solve. And not just AI for the AI, but, but really like, okay, is this something where AI can really make a difference? Not just a little bit better, but like really doing something that gives you an advantage as a business. And in whatever area of your business, if it's now research, regulatory, manufacturing, whatever, really look at that. And then certainly also, and that's that's a topic that it's almost, I see almost never being discussed, is really think about how you do that and how do you build your team around this. Because one thing I've, I've seen over and over again is that when you do this type of, of, of implementations, uh, obviously you have different you have people coming from different areas. I mean, you, know, you can have the scientist or you can have the, the data scientist and, and, and the business person, and they all speak English, yes, but they actually don't speak the same language, yeah? And they come from very different angles, which is normal. They come from different angles. And so if you, I think it's something that really needs to be taken care of and looked at because you can very easily end up with using AI and say, yeah, we are so great, we are using AI. And yeah, you have the data which then point you to a solution to, to a really good um, next step to an insight. But if those data cannot be translated into something that the business can use, so that the scientists then can use, um, then it's like, well, it may be stuck there. The message does not come through. And then you have spent money and time and you have used AI, but nothing has really advanced because you can easily get to a situation where people may conclude like, well, this was not worth it. This didn't work out while it was just a matter of translation. So um, if businesses want to invest in AI, I would say certainly, I mean, the technology is important, but really don't forget the people in that mix because also 
what also happens, and that's where also I think we will need to evolve in how we approach things, is that historically the expert was someone who knew the most. And was you know, and the older you get, the more you know, um, and like the smarter you're considered to be. Uh, but it's about knowledge. But now this is, I think, shifting more to, well, knowledge is there. And anyway, like like I mentioned in my example of the 300 years reading, you, you cannot beat that. So it's like, well, now use use your smartness, use your, your knowledge to ask the right questions. I think it's more going to be about that. Like what is actually what do we want to find out here? And when the results then come back, okay, what's now the next steps? How are we going to iterate on that? And having a very open mind to the results because it's very, it is not unlikely that, talk about scientists, that they may say, well, hey, this results produced by my AI, well, I don't believe it because I've never seen it. Yeah. And so what I'm saying here is not a hypothetical, it's like something I really lived through where the expert says, well, this cannot be true because I have not seen it. And if you then do not have people in the room who know about the field, but who can take a step back or who have a more open mindset and who can say, well, let's remember, why are we doing this AI approach? We are trying to find things we didn't know. And yes, there might be wrong information coming out. I mean, certainly that's a possibility. But what if this is true? We need to think about this. And that's where you need to use your, your smartness and to like, how can I prove this or how can I disprove this? And that's not easy for many people. How do you evaluate the AI results? How do you know if it's making good or erroneous decisions? Yeah, so, um, well, it, it starts with the data, what, you, what we put into the AI systems. So some data sets, you may have to conclude that, say, well, this is not extensive enough or not complete enough. It doesn't always have to be big, big data. It can be small data, that's uh, that's okay, but at least it needs to be a coherent um, data set to, to, to start with. Um, so that's one part of it. Um, certainly, if you think about systems that are going to look at data around humans, uh, yeah, if you develop a system, let's say facial recognition, and you only use pictures of um, uh, white people over 50, it's not going to do the best job in the end, and it might lead to really wrong conclusions in the end. Uh, it, that certainly is going to happen. Um, that's, um, uh, I would say that's a, that's a guarantee. So one way is to make sure that the data, that people are aware of that, that, that if you, is this data set representative? It, it's, it's, it's like common sense, but uh, Typically, very often this is not um, looked at it that way, or sometimes the data are not available, and then you say, well, let's go with what we have. That may also be a, um, a reason, but it's an, um, it's something to really be careful about. And then when the results come out, yeah, it's uh, certainly at this stage, I would not blindly conclude on what comes out of these uh, out of these systems uh, or accept it as the, as the truth. It's, it's like, well... It's just an enabling technology. It is there to help you. So it's it's pointing you in certain directions. It's saying, well, maybe look over here, and 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 based on the data, I see uh, A or B, and and well, maybe we should look over there, and maybe that over there is an area where you wouldn't never have thought about, and that's where then the usefulness of AI comes in. 
to start looking uh, start looking at that. If it's really kind of crazy, well, why is it crazy? Why why does it not? I mean, at one moment in history, people thought the Earth was flat. It was a was a crazy idea to think something different. Uh, in the end, we we all agree that it's it's not flat. So. Um, so again, I think we come a little bit to that open mindset to say, well, why would this be? Not immediately saying this is wrong, this cannot be, uh, I cannot explain it well, but maybe the right attitude is to say, well, how can I actually show that? How can I actually do that? And and if, if I can just give one example, if you're in, uh, let's say you're, you're, you're speaking at a conference and you tell people, um, my AI has figured out that you're all here in this room and uh, because of going through that door at the end of this room, yeah, everybody will say, well, yeah, okay, I don't need an AI to figure that out. But it's right, it's right. I mean, it, I, I agree with your AI. It's, um, it 100% makes sense. But if, I, if you then you would say, well, that same AI you have just said you, you are believing, that same AI has figured out that actually the people sitting on the left side of this room are actually more of the introvert type and people sitting on the right side are actually more of the extrovert type, then probably most people would say, well, okay, that's uh, going to be a little bit weird, a little bit crazy, and so this cannot be true. But maybe it is true. Maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe when they enter into the room, the setup, uh, the time they enter into the room, there's maybe some reason behind it, but you cannot disqualify that as such you can say well how could that be how can we explain this and i think that's a new kind of thinking open-mindedness people will need to use to avoid that maybe this really great result is in front of them and they don't see it people will use technology for both good and bad purposes what is the potential for ai to be used for malicious reasons how might that play out um, well, fully agree with you. People will use whatever we, we have uh, uh, available as tools in, in good and in uh, less good ways. So you can expect the same thing to happen here, for sure. In general, um, you, already, you already see that uh, you can have, I mean, if you just go a little bit outside of the, 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 the science, I mean, you can have military robots. You can use them to go to war, or you can also use them to help people out of the rubble after an earthquake. You can, in every way, there's always kind of these two sides. Now, in science, yes, you you could say, well, if it's thanks to thanks to AI that you find a, a really powerful, let's say, bio agent that can create a lot of of uh, bad consequences. Should you go there? I mean, it's one of those things that are not going to be stopped. Somebody will be working on that. So, for sure, it can go go look into your privacy uh, elements. I mean, um, what if if and and we we started, I think, not so, not so long ago, an insurance company said, "Well, I want you to have a wearable, and I want to have your data, and that's the condition for insurance." Well. That's coming very close to start to say, I want to have access to your data or there will be consequences and you may not have insurance, you may not have healthcare, and it's actually going to impact your future life unless you agree to, to give your data. 
So is that good or bad? You could say, well, that's good. I mean, it's good for your health one way, but is this also leaving people behind in the process? Is this what if for whatever reason you have something in your history or in your family history that somebody starts to figure out um, or assumes or has been using AI and but not in the right way and says, well, all people or, or people who have this in their family history, they are at a much higher risk for cardiac uh, problems. And so we are not going to insure you, uh, Jonathan, because, I mean, that's, that's what our systems have told us. Uh, but then, yeah, how do you make sure that was, were the data correct? Were these conclusions correct? Um, that is going to be a fine line and we cannot assume that this is all going to go automatically well. If you just look at these, I mean, today you have a lot of those uh, health systems where they say, okay, put in your information, cholesterol level, uh, how much do you walk, um, do you do this, do you do that, is your lifestyle healthy and so on. And then they give you a score and then you, they put you into kind of a, uh, a comparison to the group and it's like, well, okay, that's interesting and uh, that might be very interesting to know where you are but it's just based on somebody has decided that this is the way these analysis need to be made yeah and very personally for myself in those packages or these approaches they don't ask if you run a marathon or, or half marathon and and so occasionally i i do that but i have no place to put that information so i would think like well probably my health is pretty okay if i can do that but i cannot feed that to the system and now the system is going to make a decision for me and is going to transfer this decision to whoever is now using this typically without my knowledge and that's maybe not the best use of ai how do we go about securing the public trust in the development and use of ai um there are, there are probably different ways uh, to at least make an attempt at this point um I mean, you see some companies who, who make declarations and say, well, we, are, we, we commit to ethical use of AI. So that's a good start. So we'll have to see if that indeed is then also done in practice. But that, that's a good start to say, well, hey, we, we, we don't want to go there. Yes, we could go there. We have the, we have the knowledge. We have the tools to use it in a bad way. But uh, we want to stay away from that. So that's certainly one way. We have laws. There are some, you know, some laws on, on, on data privacy. So you cannot do everything you want, even if you have the data. Now, if you're a company who says, well, hey, I don't really care so much about that and I'll, I'll handle it when people know or when people realize that this has happened. Um, and anyway, maybe there's a fee to be paid or something and that's a detail for my business model. That's something that uh, if there is no example there, it's of no consequence. Obviously, you're going just to continue have more of that. Uh, if you want to create some public trust, maybe there needs to be some... Um, some, some containment uh, there um, but these are all I would say this is all hard to implement or to make sure that overall we can have really um, a good trust in, 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 in how AI is developed and how it is used and so unfortunately I think if history is any guidance it might well be that we need to wait for something really really big uh, negative happening before uh, some big measures are being taken to say, well, oh, there is, I mean, there are different levels of AI, there are different uses of AI, 
and there are things which have no negative impact and there are uh, applications where it can really be very bad and those ones maybe we need to regulate or we need to have some validation system or some process if you just look at what historically uh, has happened with medicines and biologicals and so and support um, this has been an evolution to come to the fda the food and drug administration where you say well uh, i want to bring this to the market and there is a certain approach and there is there are phases into that and there are things to be checked and then there are people checking the ones who are doing this and so to minimize the chance that when this product comes onto the market that indeed uh, this is an effective safe product and is not going to create harm to people maybe that same thinking uh, will come up in the future to say well in certain for certain applications or if you just think about uh, resume handling insurance and and all these domains where you submit information and you don't know what's happened and then somebody somewhere somehow gets to a conclusion uh, which actually might be wrong but it all depends like who created this tool who created this ai um, maybe in some instances you need to um, have some type of organization or some type of rules to say, well, you need to get through these checkpoints before we, we kind of release that to the to the world. That might be one way. Uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, how it uh, evolves. Obviously, I think we'll have both a little bit at the same time. If you're able out of a whole stadium of people to recognize through facial recognition, the bad guy who nobody can catch, uh, you, you find this person that way, well, that's, you can say, well, yeah, that's great for society, but you can also use it in other ways because it means everybody is now recorded, can be found, and is all intention good behind that. So, um, yes, it's a new field, it's a new area. Uh, we'll have to get used to it and find ways to integrate that in society. That's maybe the, um, the next step. Thanks, Danny, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. This was uh, Nice chat. Thank you, Jonathan, for the very um, uh, interesting questions. Thank you very much. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Danny, how can people get in touch with you? A good way is to go through uh, Twitter. So at uh, Danny DeGrave, D-A-N-Y-D-E-G-R-A-V-E, one word. Um, that's, um, that's a good way to do that. So that's it for episode 279 of The Digital Life. I'm John Follett, and I'll see you next time.